Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. All right. It is so good to see you. And uh, so nice to have my voice back, uh, at least most of it. And so we'll see how it goes throughout the sermon. But um, very, very excited. Thank you so much for your prayers. Please continue to pray for Karen. Uh, she is kind of the lingering uh, victim of this flu or cold or whatever has been going around. She is coughing like crazy, and, and uh, we just believe she's going to be healed as soon as possible. And so very, very excited about that. Very excited about Real Women, the Real Women Gathering this Thursday. I want to encourage you guys, uh, or you ladies, um, to uh, make it a priority. It's going to be a great event. It doesn't cost you anything. It's just going to be a good time of intimacy together, hanging out as ladies. And uh, I'm excited that that's going to be a, a very cool opportunity for you as well. So um, I want to celebrate one thing, and that is uh, two weeks ago we we activated our faith, and uh, you guys amazingly gave $1,200 uh, to just spontaneously, yeah, spontaneously gave, and uh, it's just incredible, and, and um, we were able to help four families. We fixed a car, we paid some rent, we helped with other expenses that other people had in their circumstance, so what a blessing it was, and I just want you to know that your faith became real and made a difference, and that's the beauty of, of active faith. You know, we could have said, yeah, let's, let's help needy people. I hope you guys go do that, and, and uh, it may not have happened. I mean, I'm not saying you wouldn't have done something, but we did something, and it made a difference, and that's, the, that's active faith. That's faith that goes beyond saying, let's do something and doing something, and I think that's beautiful, and so God bless you guys for doing that. We're in this series called Just Saying. Just saying, you know, we, just, just, we talked about the use of the tongue, we've talked about um, active faith, we've just talked about a lot of different things, and uh, this week we're going to talk about humility, and what humility does in the context of conflict. Conflict. Anybody ever have a problem with another person? Yes, yes. And so we're going to deal with that in just a few moments. But I told you guys, you know, we're not going to be able to preach through everything in, in James. And so I have a couple nuggets for you here. Uh, and this nugget comes from James 3. And it starts with verse 13. It goes like this. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Okay, so that's the nugget right there that, that we want to walk away with. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But then it says this, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Man, I'm just saying. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So this is wisdom from hell. Okay. Let's just make it clear. Let's just, just saying, this is wisdom from hell. If you have, if you are envying someone, if you have selfish ambition, in other words, it's all about you, if you are boastful, if you deny the truth, if you are earthly, unspiritual, and you are participating in some kind of demonic activity, 
doesn't mean you're possessed. It doesn't mean, but you're doing what demons do. Then that is wisdom from hell. <clears throat> I'm just saying. Actually, I, the Bible's just saying. Then it says in verse 17, which I love, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So there's a different kind of wisdom than the wisdom that comes from the world or even from hell, and that is a pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. You can see just the radical differences between the two. And so when we are talking about wisdom, we are talking about when we're making a decision, or are we asking ourselves what's best for others or best for ourselves? And when we're trying to in, in, be involved in a relationship, is it about me or is it about others? Am I envying? Am I, do I have selfish ambition? Am I boastful? Am I denying the truth? Am I earthly? Am I unspiritual? Am I demonic? No, you're not a demon, but are you being like demons? Are you acting like demons? That's the big question, and that's the part of the nugget that we don't want to embrace. We want to embrace the other part that says, am I pure? Am I peace-loving? Am I considerate? Am I submissive? In other words, am I willing to uh, come under the person and support them rather than make my own way and be on top of them and use them as a ladder rung? Am I full of mercy, good fruit, impartial or sincere? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. There's a big, big difference between wisdom from hell and wisdom from heaven. And I think if we were just to put it in a, in a, in a very nugget package, it would simply say this. Who am I th more concerned about, myself or others? And wisdom would say we need to be concerned with others. We need to live a good life and we need to do deeds done in humility. There you go. There's the nugget. That's the appetizer. Okay? So let's go back to this idea of conflict. Are you a conflict avoider? Are you a conflict creator? Or are you a conflict fixer? Which would you put yourself in the, the category of? Are you conflict avoider? There's a lot of you I know that are conflict avoiders. They just don't want to deal with it. And if there's, if there's conflict in their lives, they just avoid it. They just stay away from it. They don't talk about it. They don't confront it. They don't deal with it. They let it fester. It becomes an infection instead of something that can be healed. And um, <clears throat> that's what happens with... Or you could be the conflict creator... You know, and, th and this kind of goes to that saying, you know, if you're not a conflict avoider and if you're not a conflict fixer, then you're probably the conflict. Okay, and you, you could be that person and you're, you're the one that's creating conflict and you're the one that is kind of using the hellish wisdom up above to uh, kind of define and direct your life and that's not good. And so I'd rather much be, rather be a conflict fixer, wouldn't you? Someone who is willing to 
confront or at least admit that there's conflict in the context of the relationship, but how do we fix it? How do we get beyond it? What are the causes? What are the healing parts of it? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So conflict comes from the depths of humanity without the Spirit of God. Okay, conflict comes from the depths of humanity without the Spirit of God. So at its pinnacle, any human being is capable of conflict, especially if the Spirit of God is not involved at all. Because the intention of Christ, the intention of God's Spirit, is to always be redemptive. Is to always redeem relationship. That was his sole purpose in coming to heaven, or coming from heaven to earth, is that he would redeem our relationship that was that had conflict. That we were enemies of God in our sin, and he came to resolve that conflict, and he did it through humility. Peace comes from relationships that are centered on receiving and expressing God's truth. Love, grace, and mercy at the control of the Holy Spirit. So when we are yielded to the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit enables us to give love, grace, and mercy in the context of truth rather than to be conflict creators or conflict uh, people who are, are uh, unwilling to get beyond conflict. So James chapter 4 says this. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And I love James because he's just saying. He's like right there. He's just going to put it out there. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come from the inside you desire but do not have, so you kill? That's a little harsh. I think, I, I'm, I mean, I have desires that I don't have. Um, you know, and, and, but I'm not killing. You know, I'm not, there's nobody laying on the side of the road because I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I wanted their, their car. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You covet what somebody else has, has, and you think you should have it instead, so you fight about it. And then it says this, very, very, Matter of factly, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask with the same motives that are the sin above, which is covetousness and envy. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Really interesting passage of scripture. So let's, let's digest this a little bit. The cause of fights and quarrels come from the inside, from the desires. These desires, these appetites, these hungers, they create what we call envy, an unhealthy fixation on what others have. And so just think about the wants and the wishes and the hopes and the dreams that you have. Are they based on legitimate goals and, and, and drive and, and this desire to achieve something that who cares what everybody else has? This is what I think is best for my family, my relationship, my, for me, for, for the people around me. This is what's best for me. So instead of wanting what everybody else has, we're on this healthy goal. I think there's nothing wrong with that. Unless that goal is shaped by the world that tells us what we need and what we should have and all those kinds of things. 
But envy is that unhealthy fixation on what others have. And so I envy the person who has that, that, the, the mega truck. You know, I envy the person who has the, the four-wheel drive with the big wheels and the beautiful rims and the, the you know, the, the amazing truck that they have. Not that I've ever thought about that or anything <clears throat> or envied anybody that has that. But um, that, that's envy. That's, I want what they have. There's the other side that's covetousness, which is an unhealthy fixation of getting what others have from them. You don't deserve that. I deserve that. And that creates a covetousness. That creates a desire to take from someone what they have. And it's, it's more that entitled feeling. And I think it's in our culture today. And it's rampant in our culture today. That you don't deserve to have what you have. I deserve to have what you have. Or at least you and I deserve to have less. So we both are equal. And that's, that's just crazy talk, and that's, that's culture that is seeping into our world of entitlement, and I don't think that's a healthy thing either. So envy and covetousness causes us to see ourselves as the answer to getting what we want, and what it does is it creates conflict, because if I envy what you have, then I can't really like you all that much. I can't genuinely love you if I want what you have, but I don't have it. And I can't, I'm for sure not going to love you if I'm going to try and do everything I can to take what you have because I don't think you deserve it. So there's conflict in that. And this happens in all levels of, of, of relationship. It's not just possessions. It's emotions. You don't deserve to be happy. I want to be happy like they're happy. I want to get their happiness. Uh, I want to have what the, they have because they're they're. they're living the, the good life and I'm living this the sucky life that I'm living over here. And so it, it goes all the way from possessions to emotions to, to all kinds of things that go on in our lives. And we can even be spiritually envious. The, the Corinthian church dealt with spiritual envy in, in the context that, man, you know, anybody who spoke in tongues, they were the spiritual ones. And if you read chapter 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, you'll realize that there was the spiritual envy. They elevated one gift above all the others. And if you could have that one gift, then that makes you super spiritual. And that becomes a problem in the church. Because the Bible says without love, nothing is good. Without love, that you can speak in the tongues of angels. You can work miracles. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff, and without love, it's nothing. That's, that's crazy stuff, huh? Wrong desires lead to wrong prayers and wrong actions. You, <clears throat> you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, wrong desires, wrong lead to wrong prayers and lead to wrong actions. And that is a, the recipe for conflict. When you're praying for someone, are you praying that God has his will done in, his in their lives or are you praying that your will be done in their lives? There's a big difference. There's a big difference between that. The true solution is to first ask God. Ask God. Lord, I, I, I want what they have. No, that's not the right prayer. 
Lord, take from them and give to me. That's not the right prayer. <laughs> no, the right prayer is, Lord, your will be done. You see, right desires lead to right prayers and right actions. Right desires lead to right prayers and right actions. I like what one author said. He said this, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. So when we go to prayer and we kneel and we even, we even find ourselves envying what others have or envying what the world offers us or uh, coveting what others have, we don't bow down and we say, God, give me what I want. We say, God, your will be done. That's the, that's the, the just saying part of this. Let's stop praying these selfish prayers. Let's stop praying the prayers of envy and the, the prayers of covetousness. And, 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 and then James takes it one step further. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Enmity meaning that you're, you're an enemy of God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. Can you say amen to that one? He gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This is a just saying passage right here when he says, you adulterous people. Because what Paul is, or James is, is saying is simply this, is that because you desire so many things of the world, you have, you have adulterized, you have become an adulterer to the relationship that we have with God. In other words, we're loving the world and not loyal to God. I'm just saying. This is Bible preaching. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? We become friends with the world when we start desiring more of the world than we do desiring more of God. And that's dangerous. Church, that will never get us where we want to go. That will never allow us the freedom to experience the joy and the power and the, and the, and the grace of God like he wants, us to, to, he wants to pour out in our lives. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We cannot continue to snuggle up to the world and have a relationship with the world and expect that we have this blessed relationship here. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And we have to get rid of the things that are holding us back, get rid of the things that are keeping us back and, and doing whatever it takes to repent of the sins that we are committing, whether they're covetousness, whether they're envy, whether they're pride, whatever it may be. And this is where James first addresses the issue of pride in our lives is that some, quite often we are so prideful we don't want to admit that we are sinful. And when that happens, there's no way God can work it out in us until we're willing to let go and admit that we are sinful people. Envy and covetousness are, are the opposites of everything that Jesus had when he was here on this earth. He was offered by the devil. He was tempted by the devil. He was offered the entire world. You can have everything in this world that you want if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no way. 
as appealing as that may be, riches and uh, all the things of, of hedonism and flesh, pleasure and all those kinds of things were offered to Jesus and Jesus stayed true to who he was. And he didn't give in. Now here's one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that I've read over and haven't really paid close attention to in my, in my Christian walk, and that is in verse 5. It says, Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? You see, we get called this adulterous people, right? But then what James is saying is, but God, but God desires more than anything to have a relationship with the spirit that is in us, this human spirit that he's given us, that he wants to connect with, that he redeems, that he makes whole, that he saves and sets free. He wants to have that relationship with us, but he can't when it's an adulterous relationship. It doesn't work. But he desires, he wants more than anything to have a relationship with our spirit. And when we're friends with the world, there's no relationship there. We're, we're having a relationship outside of our loyalty and our vow and our promise to give our hearts to Jesus. And, and instead, we're having this other relationship. Now, what James is saying, do you not understand God wants, he so wants a relationship with you. He so desires it. And then he says this amazing, amazing statement in verse 6. But he gives us more grace. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor. Favor. Everybody say favor. Favor to the humble. Those willing to admit Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I've made mistakes. Jesus, I've given my life to this world, and I'm so sorry. Jesus, I'm willing to throw down all the stuff that is sin in my life, and I'm willing to walk into your presence. I'm willing to turn away from sin and walk towards you and show you that I'm truly loyal to our relationship because I know, God, that you desire more than anything to have a relationship with me. You guys, this morning, God wants so much for us to know that we don't have to be friends with the world. We can have this beautiful relationship with Jesus, and we will lose nothing. We will lose nothing. He longs for, he yearns, deeply longs for. This is a dramatic term that says he desires a relationship with us. And then, he's, and then James uses that phrase, but he gives us more grace. Now, grace is not an excuse to sin. It is our gift to not have to pay the price for it. Did you hear that? Grace is not an excuse to sin. It is our gift to not have to pay for the price of sin. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. That love, that forgiveness, that mercy, everything that Jesus brings when he forgives us of our sin, he wants to give that to us. More grace is available. More grace is available. Grace is available to the humble. If we abandon our envy and our covetousness and our pride and embrace God's will, 
we will experience his grace. That's what's available. And to wrap this up in verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. The word then there connects the whole set of passages together. Submit yourselves then to God, and then he gives us instructions on what to do to, to walk out of this building today and live in the context of God's grace and peace, especially in our relationships and conflict. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Okay, very quickly. Submit means to, and this is a cool thought here. Submit simply means to get into the place that you are truly ranked. If you were in the military and you had the rank of private, but you think you were trying to act like a corporal, um, <clears throat> your commander would come up to you and say, hey, you're a private, not a corporal. And what this is saying is submit. This is saying get into your place where you belong. We are servants of the Lord. We are not commanders of the Lord. We are not God. And therefore, we are submitting to him. We are coming under him. We are doing everything we can to get into our place. I was in the corporate world, and I was really frustrated with the, the way things were working in our plant, and I was a district manager, and I went to my general manager, and I said, hey, man, you need to get this together. You need to, this tr plant is not treating us well. This is all messed up, and he looks at me, and he goes, you are not the boss. That was the end of that conversation. I walked out of there, and I submitted. And I ended up being one of their best district managers. But I had to figure out that I'm not the boss. And it was a hard lesson, but it was a good one. And I think all of us need to understand that, that we are not the boss. We have to submit to God. We have to resist the devil. We have to, to push back on him instead of letting him push us around. Amen? We need to come near to God. I like what A.W. Tozer, a famous uh, author, said. He said, nearness is likeness. The more close we get to God, the more we are like him. The further we are from him, the less we are like him. Nearness is likeness. Wash your hands. Do what it takes to cleanse yourself. Purify your hearts. Get away from the evil. P grieve, mourn, and wail. This, this is a powerful thought because if we stop taking sin lightly and, t and grieve and mourn and wail when we sin, then we will understand the depth of grief that it causes Christ when we sin. We have to understand that when we sin, there's no, no taking it lightly. Jesus didn't when he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross for us. And we should never take it lightly. Like Peter, when he denied Christ three times, what did he do? He went out and wailed. Sad, because what he thought he could, he would never do is deny Christ. He did three times. When we sin, when we make mistakes, we should be on our faces. God, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so, it doesn't mean we wallow in that grief, because there's more grace to be had. But that grace doesn't come without confession and repentance. 
He says, stop laughing. Stop laughing in pride and mourn. Stop your joy in the party. Don't, don't just keep on going in life. Stop and, and, and confess and repent and wail and mourn because sin is serious. And then humble yourself. It takes humility to do all of that. And when we do, he brings back the joy. He brings the grace. He brings the love. He brings the mercy. He brings everything we need to live in freedom. You guys, I'm telling you, and I don't know, I don't know exactly who all this message is for, but I know, well, it's for all of us. Because we all need to understand that the right desires create right prayers and right actions. And if we have the wrong desires, the envy, the covetousness, the, the pride going on in our lives, then we're never going to pray the right prayers. God, give me what I want. God, take away from what they have so that I can have it. God, I, I refuse to repent. I am a good person. No, I, ref, I must humble myself and ask God, not my will, but your will be done. God, forgive me of my sin. Lord, help me to do everything I can to follow your will, not my will. Help me to consider others above myself. And when I do that, we are going to experience the power of grace and the beauty of healed relationships. Why? Because we're not about ourselves anymore. We're not about fighting. We're about putting things back together. We must humble ourselves. Are we ready to submit? Are we ready to come in to our proper rank? We're all servants of the Lord, not commanders. We only have one commander, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. James is telling us today that we must not <clears throat> enter into relationships with covetousness and envy and pride. We must come into them with humility, and when we do, we desire the best for others. And when we desire the best for others, I'll tell you what, your fight ratio is going to go way down. And your joy and your peace ratio is going to go way up. And we're going to see some powerful things happen in the church. If you're in conflict today with somebody, do your own self-evaluation. Is it because of your pride? Is it because of your envy or covetousness of them? Is there a reason that you're hanging on to your anger and your frustration and your offense just to please yourself? Do you think you need to be right? Read 1 Corinthians 6 and ask the question, why don't I just take the offense upon myself? Make peace in that relationship rather than be unhealthy about it. Some powerful, powerful truths. Today, God is calling us to make ourselves right in his presence. And we don't do that. We come before him and we say, God, forgive me of my sin. Today is this time to wail and mourn and cry over the disappointment that we've caused our Savior. And then he will lift us up because there's more grace more grace for us. It's not an excuse to sin more. It's a, a price that has been paid so that we don't have to pay the price for our sin. Let's remember that. God, I pray for every heart here today, Lord, that is in conflict. Maybe they're in conflict with themselves. Maybe they're in conflict with others. Lord, maybe they're just simply in conflict with you. But Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would all humble ourselves and be willing to take that place that we belong in 
and submit ourselves to you, Lord, so that we can experience more grace. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our rebellion. Forgive us of our heart that's dark. Forgive us of the, 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 even the demonic desires that we have or the actions that we've done. Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would set each person in this room completely free. Extend that grace that you've so greatly offered us, Lord, and help us to know that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are your servants. And in that context is the very place where we will experience more grace and peace in the relationships that we have with others. I pray right now, God, that you would set people free, that you would give people joy, that you would help restore relationships, God, that we would take our place and not be in the commander's position, but we would be in the servant's role. I pray that you help us to find that place, Lord, where we experience more grace, not only for ourselves, but for others. Heal relationships, heal marriages, heal and restore business partnerships. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you do something miraculous today. Because there is a miracle in the works. There is a, a revival in the church. There is life to be had. There's life to be had, not just in this building, but outside of this building. Lord, and I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would just be poured out right now across this auditorium across these digital lines into whoever's watching and listening online. In the name of Jesus, may the power of your Holy Spirit be extended from here out to there in Jesus' name. And I thank you for that, God. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but today you have the opportunity to say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Maybe it's the first time. Maybe you've walked away from God and you're coming back to him. But today is the day where you just want to say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the activities that I've done to disappoint you and to separate us from relationship, to make me an enemy of you. Lord, today I want to ask you for forgiveness and I commit to turn around and walk away from my sin. And walk away from it so that I can experience eternity with you, which I believe you were raised from the dead and you promised eternal life to me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. If that's you today, will you just pray this simple prayer? Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the mistakes that I've made and the sins that I've committed against you. And Lord, I receive that forgiveness based on the work you did on the cross. And Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would uh, <clears throat> make me whole and righteous and clean. And I thank you for that. And Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the dead. And today, I now have the hope of eternal life. And I thank you for it. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.